Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 104 of the Conquering Columbus podcast. Mike here, and I recently had the opportunity to speak on the Business of Podcasting panel at Startup Week Columbus. And if there's one thing I noticed, it's that a lot of people out there are interested in starting their own podcast, but aren't sure where to start. So we've decided to put together a podcast startup package with everything we've learned about building and growing a podcast to help you get there. You can pre-register for the Conquering Columbus podcast startup package now by heading over to our website, conqueringcolumbus.com. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. And as always, we hope you learn a lot. Before we get to that interview, though, I want to ask you all for a quick favor. If you haven't already, pick up your phone and hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're listening on. It really helps support our show and it'll make sure you never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. We also want to take a moment to thank some of our supporters. And that starts with 301 Original. In today's market, the brands that pull ahead know how to represent themselves well. 301 Original is seeking to understand how your brand can be visually depicted by illuminating your brand values and showcasing what sets you apart. The team over at 301 Original specializes in commercial photography, web design, graphic design, and social media marketing. With a conversational approach, Kyle and his team will uncover your brand's creative needs and deliver excellence in support of your goals. 301 Original, currently published in Forbes, Petapixel, and GQ, has a reputation for outstanding creativity that attracts new business for individuals, startups, and Fortune 500s. Contact Kyle Asperger today at 301original.com to elevate your brand. Conquering Columbus is brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state. And for more information, head on over to sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them is a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com. Mike here again. Do you want to be a sponsor of Conquering Columbus? We are looking for some new supporters to help keep the show going in 2018. To inquire about how you can help support the podcast, please send an email to mike at conqueringcolumbus.com. All right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.
Hey there, Conquerors. Welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Today on the show, our guest is Lori Bongiorno. And Lori is the principal and director of Commercial Studio at M&A Architects in Grandview. And Lori's played a large part in the precedent-setting Easton Town Center since 1994. She was also a graduate of the Pratt Institute in New York City with a professional degree in architecture. And as a member of the International Council of Shopping Centers, Lori leads discussions on the topic of the architect's expanding role in managing mixed-use developments and sustainability in retail design. She's been responsible for at least eight major mixed-use retail developments ranging in cost from $50 million to $340 million across the United States. We're really excited to have her here on the show with us. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Lori. Thank you. Yeah, and so you just came across from right across the street. We're real close by here in Grandview, but how's your day been going so far? Today's been a good day. Started off with taking my daughter to the orthodontist, I had a meeting with my favorite client who wants to explore a new delivery method for affordable housing and, and wants to innovate, and today we kicked off that effort, so I'm pretty excited. Yeah, and so do you have like a typical day for, for yourself, or is there, is there a typical even week, anything like that? No two days are the same. It seems I'm in a lot of meetings and on a lot of go-to meetings because I'm working on a lot of projects in Florida right now. So either traveling or on calls or in meetings, it seems. <laughs> so we definitely want to talk more about your life today and um, the different traveling situations you have on and kind of what your relationship with your clients look like. But before we dive too much into that, kind of set the stage and talk about your childhood and growing up. and. Um, maybe touch on the high points that you think kind of really helped mold you into who you are today. I grew up here in Columbus, um, Worthington High School is where I grew up, went to school. I have a very close-knit family, but they're kind of not typical in that my parents are divorced, but we still have all our holidays celebrated together, and that's a testament to my stepmom, mostly, and also my parents. I have a brother and two half-sisters who are much younger than me, who all live here in town. We spend a lot of time together. But my dad is an engineer, so him being in the building industry and his father, my grandfather, being a mason from Italy, I was always around construction sites and the construction industry, and I think that kind of shaped my career path. And growing up, you know, you said you had a couple siblings. What was your relationship like with them? Um, you mentioned your dad, you know, his career kind of molding you a little bit. Did that shape you a lot into jumping off and, and, you know, moving to New York and going to school there? How did that path unfold? Well, that's funny because my dad told me I could not go to Ohio State. He wanted me to get away from the family and be out on my own. I think he knew I was shy and needed to kind of grow. So I don't think he intended for it to be Pratt. In Brooklyn, he intended it for it to be Penn State. <laughs> so that was a little shock to him, but getting away was something that he encouraged me to do. And there was a poster in my art studio at Worthington High School for Pratt. And my uh, art teacher, Mr. Regal, asked me what I was going to pursue as a career college degree, and I had no idea. This was my junior year. And he suggested, he goes, well, you should do something in art. You should do industrial design or architecture or graphic design or something like that. And that got me thinking. And after doing some research, I thought architecture was the perfect kind of 
balance between art and science that that I would enjoy. Did you just express your passion for those subjects to him, or did he kind of see the talent in you at an early age? Or He saw uh, my artistic skill and suggested I pursue it. Were it's, siblings similar? Or? Um, actually, no. My brother's in IT, and he's a carpenter as well. My little sister is, Stephanie is a structural engineer, and my other sister, Christine, is an actuary and a product manager for Nationwide. So all very math-based. My dad is, of course, very good at math as an engineer, so we all kind of took after him. Yeah, and so moving to New York City from Ohio, was there a bit of shell shock? Kind of what was that experience like? It was crazy. I gravitated towards my roommate, Becky, who was from Indianapolis, and all the New Yorkers thought we were bizarre. They were like, you guys are just unreal. Are you even kidding me with how nice you are? So we actually took them on a trip to the Midwest sophomore year for spring break, and we flew into Columbus. I took them down to campus, and they're like, you left all this? You can get a $5 bucket of beer. <laughs> and then we went to Indianapolis and, and spent a few days, and then we went to Chicago, and they were like, wow, it's kind of cool living out here. And I was like, yes, it is. Life is much easier. So. Yeah, and <laughs> you know, I always tell people, though, with New York City, you, you can be told how big the city is, mm-hmm. but until you get off the subway on, you know, like, on Times Square or like down by uh, the arena, like, and you look around and the buildings are so tall you can't see around you, like past the city. It's, you don't know where you're at. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's something else. So it could be a real shell shock for, especially for someone from Ohio, grew up your whole life in Ohio. From Worthington. Right, right. <laughs> architecture, as you continue to progress through architecture, can you talk a little bit about it, your experience? I mean, did you like it right off the start? It was a little bit of a shock because I was shy in high school and I had no idea that architecture meant I had to present in front of a bunch of people all the time. So going to Pratt, you start in your major right away. It's not like Ohio State where you have kind of a year to figure it out. So I either had to embrace it or lose a year of college and I decided to embrace it and figure it out. So being out of your comfort zone started then. It took about a year to kind of get more confidence and and all my friends and all of the other students, we had a lot of support of each other. It wasn't cutthroat or anything like that, so that helped as well. What was the size of your class? We had, it actually was one of the, at the time, one of the largest undergraduate architecture schools in the country. It's a commuter school, so not everyone lived on campus, but we had about 120 in our class. And then it's a major, at least at Ohio State, it's known for its intensity and um, kind of relentless hours that people, you know, pursue into their projects. And I know I had a, a landscape architecture roommate who would spend, you know, all nights, you know, at the studio. Is that similar to the lifestyle that you had to live for? What was it, four years? It's five years. It was a five-year professional degree, so I didn't have to get a graduate degree to become licensed. It was very similar to that. We worked all the time, and nothing is ever done when you're designing something, so that's kind of stressful. Yeah, and so after you graduate, where do you go from there? Do you come back to Ohio right away? I decided to stay there. Unfortunately, it was the recession. It was 1991, so I ended up working for a small place for about a year, in Brooklyn, Park Slope, and I had to take a subway and a bus to get there, and then I had to walk 
15 minutes. So it was, that was a little hard. The job was 50% running errands and cleaning and 50% architecture. So after about a year of that, I decided to move home. I found a job here doing office layouts for double the money right. in Ohio. So <laughs> slightly lower, slightly cost lower cost of living. But yes. where, where was that at? It was a national realty and I, I worked there for two years doing office layouts for their properties up at um, Crosswoods. And then you progressed from National Realty to where after that? MA Architects. So yeah. I've really kind of grown up there. I've been there 24 years. And what was your entry position when you first joined the company? I wasn't licensed yet and we didn't really have titles. So I was just kind of like a an architect in training, <laughs> I guess. I, I was hired by um, Mark Daniels who is a part had recently become a partner and was hired to work with him on projects because he needed help so he's always been my mentor since then so having been a professional for what was it like four or five years at that point were you going into more of an entry-level role or was it what um, was that experience like it was still kind of entry-level because it was the first time I was working with exteriors of buildings whole buildings um, I had been doing interior office layouts and then in New York, we don't even want to talk about what I had to do, but it involved scrubbing graffiti off the wall. So, and, and, and in those early days, like as you're learning, you know, more and more about architecture in terms of actually, I mean, you already had the degree, but mm-hmm. was there a large difference between doing it and, and learning about it? Huge difference. Pratt, Pratt was very much about training. So you do graduate knowing how to draft and how to be helpful. But as far as building systems and how things go together, I learned that on the job. And uh, really the big moment, aha moment, was really during Easton Town Center when I was out on site for a year during construction. That really is what I learned more in that year than I could have in 10 years of school. How long had you been with the company until that point started? Uh, two years. So Easton was kind of my most favoritist project. <laughs> and, that, and that was when it was kind of just just starting to be constructed or? It was phase one. We started working on it in 97 on the drawings for the first phase. And um, it was the biggest project M&A had ever worked on at the time. So so tell me, what does phase one mean? Because I'm not an architect. Okay. I don't. I don't know the difference, and probably a lot of our listeners don't, so. Okay, well, the first phase was that station building, the interior portion, Mm -hmm. and everything south of it. Okay. So, the park and the Brio building and all those surrounding buildings, that was phase one, and then basically two years later, phase two opened. So, it was kind of a continuous thing. Phase two is everything north of that in station building. And so at a more granular level, when you show up to a site like that, what do your responsibilities entail and kind of where are you adding the most value in a project like that? Well, that project was kind of um, unique in that we were drawing as they were building because the um, schedule was so tight and things were constantly changing because every time a new tenant would sign a lease, we'd have to change something or Florida floor heights kept changing. You know, it, it was constantly evolving. So there were actually three of us in a trailer out there drawing as they were building. So a lot of eight and a half by 11 binders of details, but you got to go out and see it and talk to the contractor. We were very much linked with the contractor during that time. It was exciting. 
And then more on that relationship. So between something that you design and you think, you know, this is ideal and this is based on, you know, my knowledge as a creative and what I know about architecture in general, and then you take that to a contractor, is there ever pushback in terms of this just isn't realistic, this isn't going to work with what we're doing? And if so, how do you go back and forth until you find an even medium? I actually like that kind of give and take. I like having contractors at the table early on so that you can work through constructability issues and and still maintain your design intent. So early conversations with contractors, like the situation at Easton where they were involved from the beginning, I think that creates a more successful project. Yeah, and and do you ever have frustrations with your contractors? Do you ever butt heads? I mean, is there, I'm just curious about that whole process because I feel like it'd probably be a high stress, especially on a deadline. I have found that I'm doing a lot of work in Florida the contractors in Florida are not as easy to work with as the ones here in Columbus. Either we have good relationships here in Columbus that are long established with our firm or or it's the Midwestern, I don't know, but it is more of a team effort here and it's more headbutting down there. And we can cut this if you don't want this in here, but okay. I feel like all of the crazy people in the world are from Florida. Like whenever you see something crazy happening, like nine out of ten times. This isn't this isn't conquering Florida. We can say whatever. I I would 100% agree, and you can keep it in. So as uh, as your career continued to progress, you went through the Easton project. Um, Are there other memorable projects that kind of stick out that really helped mold you as you moved forward? There are um, Easton, and just having a 24-year relationship with the client and and working at Easton. That's a huge sense of pride and 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 everyone who works on Easton loves it so it we always get to do something unusual something that isn't cookie cutter you're always really flexing your brain cells to find a solution another project I'd, I'd say that was the project of the the 90s in the 2000s it would have been Bob Evans corporate headquarters really loved working on that it was a great group to work with a really strong brand that we got to mold into the built environment. So that would be one. And then I also really enjoyed Big Lots, which is under construction, or actually just opening. They're moving in now, Big Lots corporate headquarters. So I, li- I like the town centers and the big corporate headquarters. They both, you, there's a lot of um, collaboration with the team, the owner, the end user. There's a lot of give and take and meeting. And I, I just really enjoy those big projects that take a long time and you really in, you know, establish a relationship with the team. And, and speaking of corporate headquarters, we've got quite a crazy corporate headquarter here in Ohio in the Longerberger building. I don't know if you know the building, the one that's shaped like a basket. You mean the basket? The basket. Yeah, I didn't do that. Oh, yeah, I didn't think you did, but I was curious <laughs> about what you thought about it. But moving on from there. But uh, one thing, one thing before we move on there, I do want to talk a little bit about the Bob Evans and Big Lots, like dealing with the corporate headquarters like that. When you were sitting down in initial meetings for that, especially given the way that the work, work environment is transitioning into something more millennial these days. Um, are you talking about, you know, creative ways you can make the environment more open or align with the brand? And does that go into the architecture of it? Or is that more for the people who are doing, like, interior design? Like, how do, how do all those factors come together? Well, at M&A, interior design and architecture are very much meshed together. So I attended all the programming meetings with the interior designers to talk through the needs for each department and it isn't really a separate thing. I think on corporate headquarters the interiors kind of mold what the exterior looks like whereas in other sectors it might be the opposite. 
in both instances, Big Lots and Bob Evans, the desire to attract new talent was like very high on their list of, of goals. So finding those more open and more flexible work environments was a natural kind of progression based on what they wanted. For your personal thoughts in terms of you know your experience in the um, academic world that you've gone through in your studies and all the projects you've worked on, do you feel like the open environment is something that will stick around and become a trend for a long time? Do you think it's like an ideal work situation? I, I think it'll probably correct itself a little bit and be a mix of the two. I know in our profession, it 100% works to have an open environment. Our office is completely open and I wouldn't want it any other way. It's a very collaborative profession. If I was an accountant or an actuary, I would find it really hard to concentrate. So. I think there needs to be a mix and it needs to be geared towards the task at hand. Yeah, I think I can agree with that, Laurie. And let's kind of pivot there. Let's talk about how your role has changed as you've grown. You're currently the director of commercial studio and a principal there at M&A Architects. So how have your roles and responsibilities changed over time? It's a constant process to get better at it because it's not something that is necessarily something you necessarily are good at. Being, being a principal. It's been about two years and, and I work with a, we, we all work with a business coach and I think the biggest difference is, you know, I'm still really involved in, in projects and the day-to-day -day with projects and clients, that business aspect and also the uh, managing of staff aspect, that's something that you have to really work at because it's not necessarily something that's intuitive. Yeah, and do you have staff underneath you currently? Do you have a large team? How big is your team? Um, my studio, the commercial studio, is now 14 people. The biggest challenge was how do I how do I balance the clients' needs with the internal needs? So, one way is I've scheduled one-on-one -on -one time quarterly, and if it's scheduled, then it doesn't get deleted. It might get moved, but we're gonna still have that one-on-one -on -one time. But I, I find that scheduling it and then having standard bi-weekly studio meetings and project meetings is really helping. But that is probably more important than the client thing. But the client thing, I guess they bark louder. So okay. that that's the biggest balance. It's kind of, you know, you see where the money is directly coming from. So you got to put your focus there. But then you understand, you know, the importance of not being able to get the job done without your team. So right. I'm curious to hear when you're doing those bi-weekly meetings and the quarterly meetings and you say they help, um, what's the underlying issues, and I say issues quote-unquote because obviously that's kind of a negative word, but it's like mm -hmm. the underlying areas that you're improving where you know that you guys have to advance and to reach your goals. Career development is something that's very important to staff. So they, you know, being able to talk about where they want to be, where they see themselves in five or ten years, and asking how to get there. And that is one thing I now feel like I'm able to help shape that, whereas before becoming a principal I was not. So it was kind of like, I don't know what how to help you. But the biweekly meetings are really through, we go through each project, and if there's an issue or if they need help to get a deadline or did they get their quality assurance review done, did they get their accessibility review done, it's all that more project-based stuff. And then the um, quarterly one-on-ones are more about their goals and career advancement. All right, Conquerors, we're going to take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, Autoslash. 
And if you're anything like me, between work and visiting my family in California, I do a lot of traveling. And one of the things I hate most about traveling is finding a cheap rental car. With so many options out there and all kinds of hidden fees, sales, and coupons available, it's hard to know when you're getting the best deal. That's where the folks over at AutoSlash come into play. Unlike other rental car booking sites, which offer up standard rates, AutoSlash searches hundreds of coupons and discount codes for all the major rental companies to find you the lowest rate possible, even taking into account discounts you're already eligible for based on membership affiliations such as AAA, Costco, AARP, credit cards, and various frequent flyer programs out there. Instead of searching all over the place and comparing rates, AutoSlash does all the work for you to find the lowest rate possible, and it's completely free. Even better, after you book, they'll monitor your rental rate until the day you pick it up, alerting you if the price ever drops so you can rebook. It's basically free price protection for your rental car, helping you beat the big rental car companies by keeping every hard-earned dollar in your pocket. Renters on average save 30% or more using AutoSlash, and AutoSlash has saved customers $30 million since it was created. Did I mention it's totally free? So if you've got a trip coming up or you need a rental car for any reason, head on over to autoslash.com and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. We also want to thank 301 Original. In today's market, the brands that pull ahead know how to represent themselves well. 301 Original is seeking to understand how your brand can be visually depicted by illuminating your brand values and showcasing what sets you apart. The team over at 301 Original specializes in commercial photography, web design, graphic design, and social media marketing with a conversational approach Kyle and his team will uncover your brand's creative needs and deliver excellence in support of your goals. 301 Original, currently published in Forbes, Petapixel, and GQ, has a reputation for outstanding creativity that attracts new business for individuals, startups, and Fortune 500s. Contact Kyle Asperger today at 301original.com to elevate your brand. All right, let's get back into this episode. And for their goals and their career advancement, for you on your end, you know, when you're when you're giving feedback on career development and where these individuals want to be, obviously, you know, you care about your employees, you want to help them reach that level, but not everybody can, you know, have a title of principal or can climb the ladder as fast. So how do you balance between keeping people motivated and um, kind of giving them a light at the end of the tunnel, but then being realistic at the same time? Well, I feel that we have really excellent people at our office and they, I think everyone on my team could achieve whatever they want to achieve. Not everyone wants to be a principal, but there might be a project type they want to work on. They might want to have a different role. They might want to pursue lighting design. They might want to pursue code expertise. I don't think there's a limit on anyone in my studios. And how do you pursue the business development aspect to accommodate them with the projects that they want to work on? Well, I personally, I know that we gain a lot of people from other firms because they are tired of doing rollout work for retailers. We don't really do that work. We do town center projects and retail centers and mixed-use developments. Those, along with the corporate headquarters, have more job satisfaction, and I know that that's what I like to work on. So those are the projects I go after. What exactly is rollout work? It's when, you know, like the Limited's doing 150 new stores across the country and you do the same thing over and over again based on a prototype. In terms of, you know, revenue growth, doing something like a rollout where you're doing the same thing over and over again, you kind of master what you're doing, you know how it did the first time and you just repeat, repeat. It seems like that might be the ideal scenario for, you know, increasing profits and et cetera. 
for you guys, is it harder to balance not doing the rollout projects, but still, you know, finding good margins and keeping a healthy company? I don't think in the commercial sector it's that hard. I think job satisfaction is is a, is a good balance with profitability, but being an expert at mixed use and town center projects is really better from a marketability and profit margin standpoint than doing rollout, frankly. So in other words, people understand the importance of it and they're willing to pay the margin they need to. And, and since you guys have specialized in it, you're, you know, um, the best, at least in your eyes, and, you know, and from the projects that you've, that you've done. Oh, no, we're the best. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I want to talk a little bit about your field. And, you know, you talk about mixed-use projects like mm-hmm. this that are, I mean, they've changed a lot, haven't they, since you first started building them um, back with Easton. So right. where do you see kind of the market heading, and it, have you seen a decline in, in demand for your services? I haven't seen a decline. I think that projects are getting more dense and even more mixed use. It's less retail heavy. A lot of multifamily office, medical office, entertainment, a lot of entertainment, just in restaurants, and, and it's, just, it's just becoming more of a mix and less retail dependent. So you are noticing on your end the shift in retail from being brick and mortar to more of the e-commerce focus, not so many um, locations for certain stores popping up inside but- these? The stores are getting a little bit smaller. The strong centers that really offer a an experience instead of just shopping like a mall, a traditional mall, those are still very strong. Like at Easton, you wouldn't walk out there and say retail's dying. I couldn't even find a parking spot this weekend. I, th- I think they're just trying to offer more. And you know, millennials want experience. I like experiences. I like going to Easton a lot better than Polaris. From there, Let's kind of jump into the future for mm-hmm. your team and M&A Architects. Where do you see your team heading? What do you see the direction of uh, M&A Architects here in the next five, ten years? Well, I think for my sector, the mixed-use commercial sector, I can see us being more national because, you know, how many town centers can they build in Columbus? We're making a lot of strides that way. Uh, same with corporate office. I know we're putting a big emphasis on innovation, being innovated and working with Ohio State and working with others on this kind of research and coming up with the best way to do things, I think that's going to help us get more nationwide exposure. And what do you anticipate being the biggest challenges? Well, we're always fearful of another economic downturn. We are trying to be prepared for that. And um, by being more diverse, we've added sectors to our, our company in an effort to do that. And also just being smart about hiring and the projects we go after and the clients we pursue, and also maintaining and building really strong relationships. I know that during the last downturn, relationships are really what got us through. And, and do, do architectural firms get hit particularly hard by downturns? I mean, I would imagine that building a lot of building stops, I'm sure it really makes it tough. It's a profession that's extremely sensitive to the economy. Anytime any sort of construction and building that's the that's a big hit during an economic downturn so what do your personal goals look like moving forward do you have anything in in mind that's you're really striving for anything that's you know kind of uh been put high up for yourself now i'm a partner i really want to keep bringing in those really great projects that's why i love the profession is working on those 
great projects. So that that's my number one goal. Right. So more Eastons, more of these big, large projects that you have a lot of fun with and help your team have a lot of fun. I think that right. makes a lot of sense. I mean, we're, we're, I'm still really good friends with the entire Bob Evans team and the entire Easton team. How do you go about finding those projects, you know, like in a situation where you said we are Columbus, Ohio, how many corporate headquarters can we have? Or eventually, you know, maybe we have to look elsewhere. How do you expand? Well, we're working with a PR company to kind of um, get our quotes out there. When when they're doing a story on Easton or a mixed-use center, then we're quoted. Um, we found years ago that even though we're the architect of record for Easton, we weren't ever in any of those articles. So that and along with um, writing uh, blog posts and white papers and getting bylines and articles about corporate headquarter design or food company design or test kitchen design, anything like that is kind of helping get our name out nationally. So that, that's one aspect. So it's more like the thought, thought leadership aspect of business development and becoming the name that people go to and think of when they think right. of high quality architecture for these multi-mixed use establishments. Right. Gotcha. And and for corporate office, that, that one's a little hard because, you know, what do you do? Go visit every company in the world and say we're your guy? Yeah. Or do you go, just go kinda, knock on some doors? <laughs> right. Because um, you never know when they're going to need a new office. But those are really fun to do. You really get to know how other businesses work become an expert in how they do things to design the space to work for them. No, yeah, it definitely makes a lot of sense. I think sounds like brand awareness and marketing, really key piece for bringing in business. But uh, I think this is a good point, kind of pivot towards one of our last questions of the show, okay. which is uh, based around the theme of our show, Live Uncomfortably. <laughs> uh, and without telling you too much about what it means to Josh and I or why we chose that, how do you live uncomfortably in your life? And... What do you think of when you hear the phrase? Well, I think of every day in my job is pretty, I'm outside my comfort zone. And uh, that's some, one of the things I tell people in my studio too, that it's good to be outside your comfort zone. Architecture, no project is the same. You might have similarities, but no solving of any problem is the same. You, architecture school kind of teaches you how to solve, solve problems. I'm pretty much out of my comfort zone every day in some way or another. Lori, thanks a lot for joining us on the show today. Appreciate having you here. And Conquerors, thanks a lot for listening. That was Lori Bongiorno of M&A Architects. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. We'll talk to you next week. If you guys enjoyed that episode, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitchers, whatever your favorite podcast app is. And go ahead and click that subscribe button. It'll make sure you never miss another episode of Conquering Columbus. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to say thanks to all of our incredible sponsors one more time. And that starts with 301 Original. In today's market, the brands that pull ahead know how to represent themselves well. 301 Original is seeking to understand how your brand can be visually depicted by illuminating your brand values and showcasing what sets you apart. Team over at 301 Original specializes in commercial photography, web design, graphic design, and social media marketing. With a conversational approach, Kyle and his team will uncover your brand's creative needs and deliver excellence in support of your goals. 301 Original, currently published in Forbes, Petapixel, and GQ, has a reputation for outstanding creativity that attracts new business for individuals, startups, and Fortune 500s. 
Contact Kyle Asperger today at 301original.com to elevate your brand. Conquering Columbus is brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state. And for more information, head on over to sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them, there's a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com. You can drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.